0: The song was just starting to get good. I was getting ready to just, I got moves for days. Man, I didn't get enough uh, love on that right there, that dance move. Thank you very much. Yeah, I was just, this church is called Joy, right? Come on. It's not just our name. Come on, somebody. Okay. How many of you had a good time in worship this morning and singing? Man, I was, I was feeling it. You know, sometimes you go to church and you're just like, yeah, you get like, we're at church today. What I had that feeling today. And maybe this is your first time at church. Maybe this is kind of a new experience for you and uh, you're kicking the tires on Christianity, kicking the tires on church. Well, thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. I know it takes a tremendous amount of courage to walk through the doors of a church, even if it's at a community center, even if it's like this. And I know we have a lot of fun and it's a good time, but I just want to thank you that if if this is kind of new to you where you're exploring faith, exploring Christianity, this is the place for you to be. You are very, very, very welcome. And uh, we, we love having you here. This is a family, it's a community, and we're so incredibly happy that you're here. And I, you know, I was thinking about this in the words of that last song that we sang. I just want to be where you are, I want to be near your heart. There's nothing like your love. And we sing those words, and those words are not just words. Those, that's something that we very much believe in, that there is nothing like the love of God. I don't know where you come from. I don't know what your background's like. I don't know the kind of pain that you've walked through in your life, but I can tell you from all the different pathways that we come, when you experience the love of Christ, when you experience God's love in His Son Jesus and what He did for us, I just want to tell you, you you will be singing There Is Nothing Like Your Love because God's love can transform your life. God's love can take you from where you are to a brand new place. God can give you purpose. God can give you hope. And that's what we're here to do is proclaim. Can I get in a witness? Can I get an amen? amen? We're here to tell... The story of God's love revealed in Jesus Christ. And you know, as we gather here today, I just want to, us to reflect on that, to reflect on God's love. And if this is like your first time, then man, I hope you just get a big dose of God's love today. and I hope you see that in our faces. I hope it, it comes through the music. It comes through the, the things I'm going to say today. But we're, we're in the middle of a series here, or week two of this series called "We're on a Mission." Somebody say, we're on a mission." And uh, we're exploring in this series of messages, in these talks, we're exploring the mission that Jesus gave us as His church to accomplish and invited us to to take on as His followers. And last week, if you remember what we talked about, I don't have any lollipops to give away or anything, but uh, we talked about, yeah, I know somebody's like, dang it, well, I'm not going to remember what he said. That's probably a good idea, isn't it, to give away prizes, yeah. Uh, Last week, we talked about the characteristics of mission and Every mission has three characteristics. It has a point, right? It's a goal. It has a process. It's a a clear strategy by which we go about fulfilling the mission. It has a price. Just like a a military mission, any kind of mission, there's a point, there's a process, there's a price. And our mission, the point, is to make disciples. Jesus, in, in Matthew chapter 28, the very last thing he said to his disciples was, Go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey, Uh, All my commandments, and I'm with you, Jesus said, and he gave us this mission. So the point as Christians, as followers of Jesus, is that we would engage with the world and people around us, that we would love people, that we would invite them to walk with Jesus and we would make disciples. The process that we do that is intentional relationship, and the price is that we have to lay our lives down like Jesus laid his life down. And so we're continuing in this uh, series on on mission, but today I want to bring it down right to where we live I want to give a talk called Love Somebody. Say, love somebody. Love somebody. somebody. You know, oftentimes when we talk about the mission of the church, we talk about what we're going to do, and we kind of have these grand plans and these grand strategies, and so on and so forth. It gets really intimidating. I don't know about you, but as a follower of Jesus, I I get intimidated sometimes by make disciples, and it sort of sounds global, and go into all the world, and I'm like, man, I don't even know my neighbor how am I going to go into all the world? You know, I want to, I want to tell you that it's not about loving everybody. It's about loving somebody. Yeah. Right. Jesus didn't expect you to go and do more than he did. Do you know that Jesus only, he only had 12 guys that he, he had life, did life with. And multitudes came to him, but man, he really intentionally worked with 12 people, 12 disciples, and then even out of that group of 12, there was three guys, Peter, James, and John, that Jesus had an intentional, intimate friendship, relationship with. And if Jesus understood that it's even, even this is Jesus we're talking about, right? And he gave his life for the whole world, but you know what? He really intentionally was loving just a few people, doing life with them. And I want to tell you that, that it's so important that we understand the difference between God's job and our job. What's God's job? What's my job? Anybody ever get tempted to be God? Like, I'm gonna fix this person. I'm gonna, I'm gonna really, I'm gonna see this person. I'm gonna help these people. I'm gonna love the world. And then you get, in, you realize that, man, you're, you're not really capable of doing that. You're just a human being, and you're not God, right? If you, if you think you're God, there's a special facility at hospitals that they treat, you know, they help you out, uh, right? <laughs> What's the difference between, between Jake and, and uh, God? God doesn't think he's Jake, right? Thank you. Okay. Well, we need to see the difference between God's job and our job. In John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish. Now, catch the first part of this verse. For God so loved the world, okay? It's God's job to love the world. You didn't create the world. God did right? You didn't, you, you didn't make all these people. It's not your job to love the entire world, right? You're supposed to reflect God's love to the world, but you, it's not your job to love the whole world. That's God's job, but it's our job, as Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 22, verse 39, and we're going to look at this. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. So it's God's job to love the world, but it's my job to love my neighbor, okay? And we'll talk about this more. Jesus said, he said, I will build my church, Okay? He said, I will build my church, but he told us to make disciples. So even as we come together inside as Joy Church, as, an, as a group, as an organization, and we're, we're a church, we're going to fulfill the mission of Jesus, guess what? It's not it's not my church. It's not your church. It's Jesus' church, and it's not my job to build the church. Well, you're the pastor. I'm just a guy like you, right? I'm just a person that's been called to to, to do certain things and, and, and help all of us serve together, be a leader, and... All of us serve together to make disciples, but it's not my job to build a church. Jesus said, I will build my church. He said, Jake and Aaron and Michael and Tom. and Kelly, It's your job to make disciples. And when we do our part, when we do our job, guess what happens? Jesus takes the disciples that we make and he builds an incredible church. God is so much better at his job than you are and than I am. Right? God is, he's so good at his job. So we have to understand What's God's job and what's my job? Let me read you a quote that I really love. This is by an old preacher named Dwight L. Moody. He said, There are many of us that are willing to do great things for the Lord, but few of us are willing to do little things. Today I want to just bring this message right down to the the ground level and challenge you and challenge myself not to to always be looking at doing great things and getting intimidating and doing nothing, right? but to... Say, God, I'm willing to take small steps, bite-sized pieces, and do something. Can't love everybody, but I can love somebody. God, it's your job to love the world. It's my job to love my neighbor. God, it's your job to build your church, but I can make disciples. You ever heard the phrase, boots on the ground? Boots on the ground. I wore my boots today for this purpose, right? These are, these are the $22 Kohl's Christmas special boots, right? You get to look like a hipster, but on a budget. You ever heard the phrase, boots on the ground? Boots on the ground is a military term, and it basically conveys this idea that you can have all the battleships and aircraft carriers and bombers and nuclear missiles, you know, all this kind of stuff. But ultimately, to take and hold territory, you have to have what? Boots on the ground. People, ordinary people, have to go in there. Maybe they got some body armor, some machine guns, but ultimately, it's boots on the ground. That's how you take and hold territory you can keep bombing places you can keep dropping stuff on them and all this kind of stuff and all you can do is eliminate who's there with that but it takes boots on the ground to make a difference in a take and hold territory and it's the same in the kingdom of God you know a lot of times people are like I'm going to be the prayer person I'm going to pray over the entire world and I'll prayer walk the city that's great that's like aircraft you know that's like the air force that's great but did you know what it takes boots on the ground. It takes men and women, individuals going into territory with their feet, physically going in there to take and hold territory. It takes men and women willing to love somebody, not pray and I'm going My strategy is for everybody. We're gonna win the entire city of Eugene. Well, do you know your neighbor's name? Somebody, uh, we had a seminar yesterday, and somebody said, "Well, do you know your neighbors?" I'm like, "No." <laughs> Walk of shame. You know, we always want to talk about we're going to win the world for Jesus or we're going to win the city for Jesus and then we're not willing to just love somebody. And it takes boots on the ground. Boots on the ground in God's kingdom means loving people, loving somebody in a tangible, trackable, everyday kind of a way. All right, Tangible, trackable. You could point to it. This is the person. This is how I love them. This is how I relate to them. This is how I'm ministering to them. It means laying your life down the way that Jesus did for us, the way that Jesus did for you and me. And it's interesting because Jesus died on the cross. He gave his life physically, but he was also willing to give his life when he was alive. See, it's different. You might be willing to die for somebody that you love. You might be willing to actually lay down your physical life, but are you willing to give up your time every day? Give your time, give your life to somebody. That's a different kind of a concept. And Jesus, he unpacked this for us. Somebody came and said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? I think it's that you're supposed to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, you got it. That's right. You love your neighbor as yourself. And then the guy's thinking he was going to really pull an over on Jesus. He said, well, really, who is my neighbor? Really, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus says, well, let me tell you a story. So there was this guy and he was a, a merchant and he was on his way from Jerusalem and he was going to go down to Jericho. And Jesus' listeners understood, we don't know those cities, right? I've never been to Israel. Maybe you have and that's cool, but Jerusalem down to Jericho was a, a mountain road. Jerusalem's up on, it's in the mountains, it's in the, the hills, and Jericho's down uh, in another part of the, the area. And this road was known to be very dangerous. So Jesus' listeners understood, okay, that's kind of a dangerous journey. And this man is gonna go from Jerusalem to Jericho, but as he was going, Jesus says, he was attacked by robbers, and they, they beat him up, they, they robbed him, they took his clothing, they took his money, they took his food, and he was left to die, bleeding and broken on the side of the road. Everybody's listening in like, man, that's terrible. And Jesus says, but look, you know, somebody came by. Okay, great. Everybody's listening in like somebody's coming by. He's going to get help. And it was actually a a priest. It was a pastor. It was somebody who really, if you think, you know, man, if Jake's going by on the side of the road and he sees somebody that needs help, he's going to really help him. Hope so. But in Jesus' story, I'm the villain, right? So (laughs) Jesus says the priest walks by and he sees him and he doesn't help him. Too busy. Maybe he's on the Lord's work, and he goes on by. And then a Levite comes by, and then the the listeners, I'm sure, were like, "Okay, this he's going to do something." Levite supposed to be a, a man of God, supposed to be set apart for the work of of God. And, and the Levite walks by and too busy. Moves on through. And then Jesus says, and then comes a Samaritan. Now Samaritan to us doesn't maybe mean that much, but Jesus' listeners knew who the Samaritans were. They were this group of people that lived in a different city. And they were very much hated by the Jews. And the, Jew- the Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews. And literally at this period in time, if a, if a Jew was going to travel on a journey and they would pass through Samaria, they would, go, they would add another day and they would go around Samaria. They wouldn't even go into Samaria. They looked at these people and they were basically like the worst people. They hated them. They were racist against them. They, they thought they were pagans and so on and so forth. They, they despised them. So Jesus is speaking to all these Jews and they're listening and he says and then comes a Samaritan and they're like I wonder what he's going to do probably kick him when he goes by. And Jesus says the Samaritan though gets off his donkey and gets down and he begins to help the man and he he he, he bandages his wounds and he, he 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 wraps him in his cloak and he puts him on his animal and he takes him all the way in and then he takes him to an inn and he pays for this guy's care, and he says, look, here's what I have, and I'll pay for this, and then if, the, if you need more when I come back through, I'll give it to you, and he just goes beyond, above and beyond everything that he needed to do, but he, he absolutely helps this person, and then Jesus, after he finishes the story, and everybody's like, man, that's crazy, he says, who is a neighbor to the man that was in need? And the man says, even though it's the Samaritan that he hates, he says, it's the one who showed him mercy, and Jesus was expanding this concept of what a neighbor is. See, the Jews understood this term neighbor to mean the people that were in their community, right? The people that are like them, the people that act like them, talk like them, dress like them, that believe like them, the people that they do life with, their community, their friends, their family. And so you treat your neighbor with respect. You treat your neighbor with dignity. And and that's a neighbor, but everybody else you can kind of just ignore and not worry about it. And Jesus turns it on its head and says the person that could have just rejected him and said, that's not my neighbor, and passed on. He showed him mercy. That was the real neighbor. Jesus said, you love your neighbor as yourself. That's what a neighbor is. It's the one who shows whoever needs you to be in their life right now, who needs mercy, who's lying on the side of the street broken, that's who you are called to love. Jesus completely says, he he blows up this entire system of thought that says it's just the people that you should love. When Jesus said crazy stuff, like you should love your enemies. You should pray for people that use you the wrong way. Let me just tell you, when you're a follower of Jesus, you have to be indiscriminate with who you love. Indiscriminate. You don't get to say, well, this person's the wrong color. Or, well, they come from a different place than me. Or, they don't speak my language. They're a Democrat. <laughs> or they're a Republican. Right? They're an independent. They're Green Party. Their vote doesn't even count. You know, you know what I'm saying? You don't get to say, well, I don't agree with their politics, so therefore I don't have to help them. I don't have to love No, no. Jesus says, your neighbor is the one that needs mercy right now. And you know, the thing about Jesus is it wasn't like, I just love people. He tells a story because he wants to really make the philosophical practical. He wants to bring it down to the ground level. This is boots on the ground. He's making the abstract actual. In other words, this faith that we have, this, this thought, these thoughts that we have, what, when we talk about loving your neighbor, this isn't a concept. It's meant to actually mean something in how we live our lives every single day. And this mission that Jesus gave us to love people, to to bring them into fellowship and relationship with Him, to make disciples, it means taking our place on the front lines. Boots on the ground. And not loving everybody, but loving somebody. Pouring our life into somebody, right? But it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to love people this way. G.K. Chesterton, he said this, The Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies. Probably because generally they are the same people. <laughs> right? Let's read that again. The Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies, probably because generally they are the same people. Anybody with me on this? People are hard, especially the ones that, you're, that are around you. Right? Sometimes the ones that are closest to you, it's the neighbor that plays his music too loud. <coughs> Colin <laughs> and Judah. They had to put a, a, a would you say, blanket in the cajon so it wouldn't uh, be too loud for their neighbors. Um, they're like, we're not passing out flyers in our apartment complex because everyone will hate us. You know, if we, <laughs> hey, we're Christians. They're like, you guys stink. You know. But sometimes it's hard to love those people that are close to you. The guy who parks in your parking spot, the person who cuts you off on the belt line, doesn't know how to merge. Uh, you know, th- these are realities, aren't they? That it's, but generally some. Sometimes our neighbor and our enemy are the same person, and we're supposed to love those people that are right around us. But Jesus gives us, kind of clues us in on what it looks like in his kingdom to love people and to lay our life down. And in Matthew chapter 22, he establishes two directions of relationship. The vertical, which we understand, most people, even if they're not a Christian, understand that you're supposed to love God, right? Right? But Jesus says, look, it's not enough just to love God. It's also how you love horizontally. It's the vertical with God, but it's the horizontal with other people. And he establishes these two directions. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 33, he says, it says this, When the crowds heard him, they were astounded at his teaching. Now, listen to that. Let's look at that word, because Jesus said things that were astounding, meaning that people were blown away, like shocked, when he spoke and I'll explain why in a second. When the Pharisees heard him, they heard that he'd silenced the Sadducees with his reply. They met together to question him again, and one of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And everybody's going, yeah, I'm supposed to love God. Maybe you came here to church today and you knew that you were going to hear a preacher thump on his Bible and tell you that you're supposed to live right and love God, right? I don't even, This is an iPad, so I don't thump, really, you know. <laughs> These are ex- too expensive to thump on, you know. If I had a Bible, I'd be thumping it. But uh, maybe you thought that you were going to come and hear a message about, you know, you're supposed to do this, live this way, and, you know, if you live right, then God will, you, you, you know, you kind of thought that. And you're supposed to love God. And they were all nodding along like, yeah, this is religion. We get this. This makes sense to us. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they're like, okay, good message, Jesus. All right. All the church people are like, amen, in the background. And Jesus says, hold on. Before you amen, wait to hear what I have to say next. And now you're going to find out why Jesus astounded people by what he said. Because he goes on, he says, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Now, the reason they were astounded is because Jesus was saying something incredibly radical, revolutionary, and different to what his listeners would have understood. Now, we, we sort of have the benefit of being on the opposite side of history of this. We're not experiencing it as it's happening. So we have to work to put ourselves into this scenario, put ourselves into this situation. But here's what, the, what these guys would have understood, what these listeners would have understood, and what we need to pick up out of this There's some incredibly amazing truths here. and Jesus is saying here, how you treat other people is just as important as how you treat God. How you love other people, your neighbor, the one that needs you to love them, is just as important as you love God. Jesus is saying, put people on the same plane as God in your priority of love. Now you're like, well, how is that supposed to work? Isn't God the greatest? Yeah, He deserves our worship. We don't worship other people. But in terms of our love and how we express our love for God, Jesus said, if you put it all on the line for a person, you've, you've done it unto, unto the Lord. If you've, if you've loved your neighbor, if you have poured out your life for other people, you are fulfilling this commandment of love. And let's look at this. I'm going to give you some, some key words here. The, the word love that Jesus uses in this passage in Greek is this word agape. And it means God's kind of love. It's a selfless and sacrificial form of love that's independent of repayment or reciprocation. So when God loves you, when He gives His love to you, He doesn't expect you to, to to really pay Him back. How many of you that have experienced the the grace of God and God's love through Christ understand very well that you could never repay it? Even were you to live a life that was holy and righteous, and you know you 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 were perfect in all your ways, and you never lusted and you never stole and you never did any of that stuff, which we all kind of know, man, I keep doing those things even as a follower of Jesus sometimes. You never did anything wrong for the rest of your life. You still wouldn't repay the gift that God gave to you. So God's kind of love is, can't be repaid. It can't be reciprocated. It's experienced and it trans, it's transformative. And Jesus says, this is the kind of love that God has for you. This is the kind of love you should have for God. This is the kind of love that God gave to you. And this is the kind of love that you should give away. My kind of love, God's kind of love, love that does not have a hook attached to it. How many of you know people that love you with a hook attached? Hey man, like if you do this for me, then I'll love you. You know, as long as the money was in the bank account, you were really loved. But when the money was gone, the love was the gone. You know, as long as you act a certain way or dress a certain way or whatever, that love is there. But, you know, when, when, when you change, the love changes. It's love with a hook. That's not the kind of love that we're supposed to give. Well, I'll love you if you vote for who I think you should vote for. I'll love you if you dress how I think you should dress. I'll love No, no, no. Love without a hook. God's kind of love. And Jesus says it's equally important this command to love other people and this is the word in Greek hom- homoios it means of equal rank, same. It's Jesus intimately connected the two great commands and he made them inseparable. They're not sequential. It's not love God and then love people, but they're parallel. It's love God and love people. Followers of Jesus. Let me just say something to you. It's not love God, then love people. It's love God and love people. Homoios, equal rank. Jesus connects these commands. This is how we see. It's the lens by which we are to process right and wrong. Is this loving God? Is it loving others? We demonstrate our love for God by how well we love others. And Jesus said this in different ways throughout Scripture. He said you know, at the end of time, people are going to come to me, and they're going to, I'm going to be there, and I'm going to be judging the, the world, and I'm going to have the sheep on, on my right, and the goats, I'm going to separate it on my left, and they're going to say, Lord, you know, we, we prophesied in your name, the goats, you know, we, we, we were your people, we preached sermons, and we sung songs, and we, we were religious, cast out demons even, and, Jesus is going to say, yeah, but when I was sick, you didn't visit me. When I was naked, you didn't clothe me. When I was in prison, you didn't come. When I was hungry, you didn't feed me. And they're going to say, Lord, we never saw you hungry or sick. If you, if we knew you were in prison, we would have gone. And he said, but as much as you didn't do it to the least of these. In other words, as much as you didn't equally love the people around you, that you didn't love me, you didn't do it for me. And then the sheep on his right he's going to say, enter into everlasting life. And they're because you fed me when I was hungry and because you visited me in the hospital and visited me in prison and you you loved me and there's Jesus we didn't ever see you sick there was just that homeless woman on the street Jesus I didn't know you were in prison I was just there ministering to those kids at J at Juvie and Jesus said look as much as you did it to the least of these you did it to me because Jesus said, love God, love people, equal rank. How do you love God? It's how you love people. If I think I'm a 10 with God, but I'm a 2 with my wife or my husband, you're a 2 with God. If I think I'm a 10 with God, but I'm only a 4 with my classmates, you're a 4 with God. Right? See, I can do math. <laughs> One, two, three, four. Okay, good. How we love God is expressed in our love. God's kind of love is transformative. It should be changing the way that you operate and do business and conduct yourself. And this word neighbor that Jesus uses, it indicates the people that are simply near to you, the people that need you in that moment of mercy. Like Jesus told us in the good Samar- that parable of the Good Samaritan, that story, the Samaritan, he just responded to the person that, that was in need. He didn't worry about What color he was, what ethnicity, what race, what religion, what socioeconomic class, what political party. He just loved him. He just loved somebody. Say, love somebody. somebody. And then Jesus gives us one more word. He says, Love your neighbor as yourself. And this draws us back to the golden rule. In Matthew chapter seven, verse twelve, Jesus said, Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Love people how you want to be loved. If you're broken on the side of the road, what do you want to happen to you? You want somebody to respond in mercy, don't you? If you're sick, you want somebody to come. If you're broken, you want somebody to be there. If you're despair, you want somebody to bring you hope, right? So Jesus says, whatever you would want, when you see somebody in that condition, you give it. And that's the essence of the law and the prophets. Let me tell you, Christianity is not complex. It's not difficult to understand. It's just hard to live. It's just hard to love this way, isn't it? Because it means emptying ourselves of our love, our agenda, all that stuff, and letting God transform us into the kind of person that can love other people. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. There's a funny story. This morning we we pulled into Safeway. We were going to get some creamer for the hospitality table. And my daughter Evie is learning this principle, right? So she's learning how to be polite and kind. Usually she's like, Mom, hurry, you know it's like Bethany's on like a pleasure cruise when she goes into Safeway. She's not in there getting a massage. You know what I mean? Like she's buying something for us, you know, and and she's serving. And so we pull up to Safeway this morning and Evie goes, Mom, take your time, but go really fast. (laughs) 50% there, babe. You're doing well. How many times in our life do we say, take your time, but go really fast? How many of you are trainees and learning to love? I am, Right but you know what? Our standard isn't perfection. That's where we want to go. But our standard isn't perfection. It's progress. What can I do this week? What can I put into play today to be boots on the ground? And you say, I thought we were talking about mission. We are talking about mission. Because if each of us would just take this message and go and love somebody this week, guess what? We would be transformed and that person would be transformed and God would use the love to build relationship and through that relationship, God can raise up disciples. Come on, we can. You know, there's this, this saying that says people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. As followers of Christ, we oftentimes want to share truth, but there's no bridge of relationship for that truth to cross, and we have to build those bridges of relationship before we can bring truth across. When you have a bridge of relationship, you can say challenging things, encouraging things. You can preach, you can prophesy, you can you can lead people to Christ if there's a bridge that they can cross with you of relationship. All right? You doing good today? All right, I'm going to give you four things as we close. Here's some takeaways. I like takeaways, you know, especially when you go out to eat and it's a really good restaurant, right? And then you get takeaways, you get leftovers, and you get to go home and heat it up in the microwave and then eat the same thing. It's good, right? I especially like Olive Garden when they do the never-ending pasta bowl. And you're like, I am going to go ahead and have that third bowl of spaghetti and meatballs. And they're like, looking at you, take one bite, go ahead and box that up for me, yeah. Sorry, we have an Olive Garden employee here. Uh, Joy Church in no way uh, uh, promotes the statements of this person speaking. You know, just <laughs> <He's> kidding. <clears throat> but uh, I love takeaways. So here's some takeaways from the message today. Number one, don't love everybody, love somebody. Remember, God's job, let him do his job. He's better at it, right? It's God's job to love the world. It's my job to love my neighbor. God does his job. I do mine. So don't love everybody, love somebody. You can put this into practice right now, today. You can put this into practice at the restaurant you go to eat at. You can put this into practice immediately. Number 2, we have to make room in our lives. So make room in your life for loving people. Sometimes we're so busy doing doing stuff, pursuing our careers or even with our family, we got the kids in 17 sports and you know the I'm sorry, but you know your kids probably not Pele or Michael Jordan, right? So, like, it's okay if they play rec league soccer and they don't play nine other sports. It's okay. Like, did you know that? You, you're not gonna, nobody's going to, like, arrest you <laughs> if you make some room in your life to love people, right? Yeah. If you make some room in your life. Maybe you won't win the Parent of the Year Award or something. But, you know, love your kids and make room in your life to love somebody. You have to make room in your time. Every person in the whole world has the same amount of time every day, every week, every year but we use it differently, don't we? So you have to make room in your life and your time for people to love people. You have to make room in your mental and emotional energy. Sometimes at the end of the day, I've had X amount of conversations, and my wife's there, and, and I want to have a conversation with her, and she starts talking, and I just go, uh, and I realize like I messed up. I didn't save anything in the tank, right? You know, how that, you know that feeling... So it's important that we save that mental and emotional energy to love people. If you're so busy in your job that you can't love your family, you can't love your kids, you can't love people, your neighbors, you're probably too busy. So we have to make room in our life, and our mental and emotional energy. we got to make room in our finances. We've got to make room in our finances to bless people, right? Don't live your life without any margin. There should be enough for God, right? When we look at finances, we... God's part, 10%, and then whatever else He's, he's asked me to give uh, in gener- generosity, but I tithe and I set aside God's part. That goes first. God gets His piece of the pie first. Then I you know, need to plan with diligence and wisdom to pay my bills, so on and so forth. But I need to have some savings, okay? And then I need to have some leftovers, some takeaway, some margin, right? Why? So I can give it away. I can. It's my generosity piggy bank. It's my take somebody out and buy them Starbucks piggy bank. You know, if somebody's having... Really, not a bad day or a good day, or just having a day, and you bring them a coffee from Dutch Brothers or Starbucks, they are having a better day now, right? Whatever it was at, whatever level that day was at, you bring me coffee, like, tell you what, I'm your buddy. You know what I mean? <laughs> Especially after about half an hour when the caffeine kicks in, then I'm really your friend. You know, you can make somebody's day, but just little acts of generosity, little acts of generosity, you save some margin. There's, there's room in your life for loving people. Number three, we need to become really good, get really good at relationship. As followers of Jesus, you know, I would really prefer, as your pastor, let me just say something to you. I would prefer that you would prioritize investing in people than you would even invest in your knowledge of Scripture. Because I believe that you're going to read the Bible for yourself. You're going to grow. I want you to do that, so don't get me wrong. But I, I believe that if you will invest in people and make disciples and share your life and put a premium on people that is an investment that really pays off. It really pays off. Jesus said, "Store up treasures in, in heaven." You know, put put your money where where you, put your investment where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves can't break in and steal. When I invest in people, I'm making an investment in eternity. When I invest in people. So, let's get really good at relationship. Let's be really good at building bridges of reconciliation, building bridges of peace, building bridges of hope, building bridges of care and love with the people around us, so that the Christians aren't the worst witness for Jesus, but rather the best. That Jesus Church, when people come in here to Joy Church, that they would feel that Jesus is in us, and there's actually joy here, and we actually like each other and love each other, right? That there's a community, and that we're good at relationships. So that's takeaway number three. And then lastly, takeaway number four, I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. I want to stir you up to share Christ intentionally this week. Intentionally. At Joy Church, our mission is to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. We want to show the world what God's love looks like and be that community. And that starts when people don't know Christ. Do you know evangelism and discipleship aren't two separate things? We don't evangelize and then make people Christians and then then disciple them. Discipleship starts before people are saved. It starts with building relationships and doing all this kind of stuff that I've been talking about. Loving somebody, not everybody. And as you build that relationship, you begin to to lead them on a pathway towards Christ. But I want to encourage you that the, the scripture says, how will people know if nobody tells them? Without a preacher, if you never open your mouth and actually say, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus. I want to tell you about Jesus. I want to tell you about hope and life. Now, you've built your relationship, okay? So it's not just running up to random strangers in the street, unless God specifically tells you to do that, but that's often not a super effective way, right? Correct? How many of you hear somebody shouting at the top of their lungs on the street and you're like, man, that really moved me. I'm going to go join that guy's thing. I wonder if they have a sign for me to hold, you know? Not usually, right? So it's usually relational, okay? And I'm not criticizing those people. Maybe God told them to do that, but it's usually relational. But I want to encourage you to share Christ intentionally, to put your faith into practice as you love. Also teach somebody, train them, give them Christ. And I want to leave you with this quote, another one from Dwight Moody, who's awesome and says great, said great stuff. I think he's with the Lord now. Dwight Moody said this about evangelism. Somebody was criticizing him, didn't like how he did evangelism. And he said, it is clear that you don't like my way of doing evangelism. You raise some good points. Frankly, I sometimes do not like my way of doing evangelism. But I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. Don't love everybody, love somebody. Put your faith into practice this week. Share Christ intentionally. Give God an opportunity to do a miracle in somebody's life.